Okay, so um, you had something that you wanted to play me? Yeah, let me just uh, let me just track it down. Hang on. Oh yeah, yeah. By the way, this is some of all parts. I'm Joel Werner, and we've got producer Carl Smith, who's going to play me a clip of something. Yeah. Okay, I've got it here. So this is this is very special. Ready your ears. Okay. Okay. That sounds a little bit crap. I'm not going to lie, but I'm sure you know. In the mix, we can we can work wonders in the mix, Carl. We can polish that up. Okay, but the point is that it's meant to sound a bit crap because this was the first music ever produced by a digital computer. <laughs> That's it. That's. Probably the first music ever played by a computer. Probably? Well, to the best documented evidence available in the world. Seventy years ago, Australia's first digital computer started running its first program. It launched Australia into the digital age in 1949, just after the US and UK. But this computer did something no other digital computer had done before. It played music. Dr. Paul Dornbush is a music historian who studies computer-generated music, and he's the Associate Dean of the Australian College of the Arts. He accidentally stumbled upon the story of that jaunty little tune we heard while reading a newspaper in Europe in the 90s. I was working at the Royal Conservatory of Holland, and like a good expat Melbourneian, I would regularly read The Age Online, and I read an obituary of Trevor Piercy and how he built this computer Cyrac. In that obituary, he read that Trevor Piercy was an extraordinary and visionary computer scientist. Barbara Ainsworth is a curator at the Monash Museum of Computing History, and she wrote a biography about Piercy. Trevor Piercy was a physicist, a mathematician, and a computer scientist, and an academic. He did so many different things. He started working in physics and microwave propagation, and when he came to Australia to work for the CSIRO, he was very interested in mechanical computing, and he knew they needed a machine to increase their efficiency, and he designed one from nothing. That machine was called CIRAC, which stands for the Council for Scientific and Industrial Research Automatic Computer, Australia's first digital computer. And depending on how people categorise early computers, which is surprisingly contentious, it's either the third, fourth, or maybe the fifth digital computer in the world. Dr Peter Thorne is the former head of computer science at the University of Melbourne. Before that, only a handful or only two or three computers have worked anywhere in the world. So this was a pioneering effort here in Australia and quite a remarkable achievement. Peter Thorne was the author of the obituary that Paul Dornbush read in Holland. He'd worked on CIRAC and with Trevor Piercy. So he wrote things like this about Piercy's work. Trevor was 26 and by the end of 1949, they had at least the start of this computer in the sense that it could now execute store programs. So we date the starting point from then. But he'd also included something like this in the obituary. 
The uh, computer was exhibited publicly in 1951, and by then it was playing computer music. That was what really struck Paul Dornbush while he was reading PSC's obituary in The Age in Holland. There was one line in there that said it played music in 1951 or 50 or 49 or something. And I was at one of the world's most prestigious computer music departments at the Royal Conservatory of Holland, the Sonology Institute. I thought, no, it's a typo, because I knew that computer music started in 1957 at Bell Labs. They were interested in telephony, so they, uh, you know, through a little bit of sleight of hand, they established a computer music department because it might have relationship to, you know, what we do with telephones. For a long time, that was considered the first computer music. Max Matthews at Bell Labs in the USA worked with composer Newman Goodman to create it, and it was played for the first time in 1957. So Paul Dornbusch decided to follow up with Peter Thorne. Almost as a second thought, I thought, I'll send off an email. And so I just sent off an email and said, yeah, I just read this obituary and, you know, it was just a small error, you know, computer music started in 57 at Bell Labs. And I got an, a reply from Peter Thorne saying, no, no, it happened in the early 50s in Australia. People remember it. People were there. Those who've worked with Sarek always knew that it had played music. We hadn't realised the significance of that. And I remember going and speaking to my colleagues in Holland. I said, well, uh, people reckon this happened. And they're going, wow, man, that's pretty weird. If that happened, that is amazing. That is completely amazing. And so that started the whole thing, me then writing another email. You know, are you sure? Paul contacted me and said, this is really important. We have to recreate this music. And I sent something back saying, Paul, this is a mad idea. The computer, although it's intact, doesn't work. We are not going to make it work. Well, maybe it is possible. Why don't we work on it? Uh, we have paper tapes. Yes, in this era of computing, machines were fed reams of paper with holes punched into them. That was their data and they were known as paper tapes. And this was what the programs were stored on. So there was a set of pigeonholes with these programs all on this paper tape and you chose the programs you wanted, maybe spliced some of them together. If you wanted to change a program, you might be able to just punch another hole in the tape or you might be able to fill in a hole with a piece of sticky tape. Cyrax's old paper tapes were still lying around. We have those in modern translated form. We, we scan them as it were. Well, eventually we had a project in, I think, 2000, 2001, to resurrect, reconstruct the music played by Cyrax because it was never recorded. And Paul was right and I was wrong. And with an amazing project was commenced, which involved Paul and senior engineers who were still alive at that time and still, still working. And they managed to do a faithful reproduction of the music. That is Cyrac playing Colonel Bogie's March, which was a popular song of uh, the wartime era. 
To recreate this music and how it would have sounded coming out of Cyrac was an enormous feat for Paul Dornbusch and his team. It began by trying to understand how the machine originally operated. Thankfully, Cyrac was, and still is, intact. And Dr. Peter Thorne had been a service engineer operating the machine, so he knew how it worked. We went to take a closer look at Cyrac at Melbourne ScienceWorks Museum, where it's currently on display. I worked with this computer, Cyrac, way, way back in the late 1950s, and it is the only first-generation computer intact anywhere on the planet. It is quite an impressive and large computer, much larger than the computers we're used to seeing. Can you describe to me each of these different components we're seeing? Yes, well actually there are no transistors in this computer. It has vacuum tubes, valves that glow, rather like light globes, and it has 2,000 of them, each of which glows away when the computer's working. And the components are all separately wired and separately soldered. And so the computer weighs about two tons, and it used about 35 kilowatts of electrical energy, which is about enough to power a street of houses. Of course, the capacity of the computer is far less than a modern computer. It's a million times slower than the computers in your phone or in your laptop, and it's got a very, very small amount of storage, about two or three thousand bytes compared with the gigabytes that you store in a modern computer or indeed in a modern smartphone. It uh, was used... Well, we just got rudely interrupted by the machine there. What sort of work was this computer doing for university and research scientists? It was used to generate some of the world's first numerical weather forecasts, designing the state electricity power grid, some banking calculations. It was used by nuclear physicists for their calculations. Although it only worked at about a thousand operations a second, the only choice one had before this was a desk calculator that worked at about one operation per second. So on this computer in an hour, you could do uh, equivalent calculation that would take you three months on a desk calculator. The first computers were calculators that were electromechanical, so they would move and shift things, they were analogue. They simply moved digits around, but they didn't store them. Barbara Ainsworth. CYRAC and the first generation of digital computers could run any kind of operation, rather than just running fixed programs with fixed parts. That's because digital computers use digital code, which made them more flexible. What we needed to achieve was a machine that could take on different problems without wiring to make them work that way or perhaps a set of cards to direct them. So the achievement is to perceive that problem and solve it. Despite their flexibility, digital computers hadn't been designed to play music. It's not yet known why the researchers behind Cyrac decided to program it to play songs, but Paul Dornbusch says its unusual design meant it had the capability to do so from when it first started spitting out data. A couple of things about early computers. There was no display, no screen. The input was a punched paper tape, and the output would also be a punched paper tape. So the computer had a speaker on it to be used as a diagnostic aid because you wouldn't really know if a program had finished. 
So they would put a stream of pulses just going to the speaker at the end of a program, and they called it a blurt. It would go, and the program had finished. And we go, oh, hooray, the program's finished. And they would often run programs a couple of times to check that they got the same results. And sometimes if they were trying to debug a program, they would put some different blurts throughout the piece. Jeff Hill was an Australian programmer, Australia's first programmer, who wrote this program for CYRAC to play that tune. He must have gone, oh, I've just made this thing make a sound. If I can get those pulses to go at a regular period, I'll get a steady pitch. If I can then control that, I can get a note and multiple notes to create some music. And so I think that was the, probably the progression of events. Like, there's no evidence one way or the other, but that's a logical sort of thing to think. But by talking to those working on CYRAC or their relatives and digging through the old paper tapes, Paul Dornbush was then able to figure out what happened next. Although Trevor Piercy had designed the machine itself, it was programmer Jeff Hill who made it sing. He had coaxed it into playing scales. And um, Jeff Hill is an incredibly interesting character. He was a savant mathematician, but also he came from a very musical family and many members of his family had perfect pitch. His mother, I think, was a piano teacher. One of his sisters was another music teacher. And I heard stories about him calling up his mother at, you know, nine o'clock at night saying, Mum, can you have a listen to this? And him holding the telephone receiver down to the computer and playing notes and him asking her, are all of the notes in tune? Because he was trying to get the tuning right. And she's saying, Jeff, don't be stupid. What are you playing silly games with a paper and comb at this time of night? Come home and your dinner's in the oven. What was the first song that we're aware of that he made? And what's the story behind why he decided to do that? Well, the first song on the music tape is Colonel Bogie's March, which we've heard. His widow, who I interviewed, suggested there might have been an earlier song, something like Bar Bar Black Sheep, with fairly sequential and stepwise motion to the melody that he could have programmed before that. The dates around when these songs were programmed and played in the lab are still a bit fuzzy, somewhere between 1949 and 1951. But then in 51, Cyrac played its first song to a public audience. I guess you can kind of think of this as an early electronic music party, just a different sort of crowd. And Jeff Hill was the headline and only act for that first set using Cyrac. November 1951, at Australia's first computing conference, full of computing specialists from locally and from around the world, and people's jaws fell, apparently, when Cyrac played some music for them. Why? why? Why would that have been so shocking at the time, hearing one of these early computers suddenly singing? Well, I don't think people expected it. There was, there was very little in the way of tangible output from these machines. They generated a lot of noise in their operation, the clattering of the readers and the punch paper tape machines. The air conditioning would have been quite loud. Any discs that they had would have been driven by washing machine motors. So they were loud, noisy machines with no visual display. And to have it play music was a kind of tangible output. You, you went on quite a journey of forensically piecing together what happened 
back in the 50s. Can you tell me about the, the journey you went on through this project? I remember accepting the Australia Council grant to do it without knowing how to do it. <laughs> so I felt under pressure and I had an office at the University of Melbourne to do this. And I remember standing in my office with a whiteboard and pacing backwards and forwards going, hmm, how are we going to do this? And so we built some hardware to reconstruct the pulse shapes, valve hardware, thermionic valves, electron tubes, as the Americans call them, and they behave very differently to modern day circuitry. And we'd found the punched paper tapes. We read the paper tapes, some of them by hand, two of us doing it and then comparing results where we didn't agree, going back and checking typing it all into a file, and we built an emulator, and we added to that some software to drop a file out of the timing of the pulses. Once we had the timing of the pulses and the shape of the pulses, it was a matter of just combining them, and there's your digital audio file. But to get one step closer to authenticity, it had to be played back through the speaker, so the museum very kindly gave me access to the machine, the original speaker was damaged, so I found one from the same month of production, bolted it onto the door, filled the cavity with the same sort of volume that was in there, and played this digital audio file through the speaker and recorded it with a microphone to get as close as possible to what would have happened recording it in the day. How did you do that? How did you recreate the background noises there as well? Well, um, it's called physical modelling technique and it's used for things like um, simulating guitar amplifiers today and simulating musical instruments and so it's the same sort of technique and you know, I learned all of those sorts of things in Holland and so I just applied it to the concept of, okay, what are all the moving parts, what sort of, what's their rotation speed, what's their likely frequencies coming out of them, the air con, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the volume of the room that it's in, what sort of reverberation does it have? And yeah, it's an approximation, but I have played it to people who are there who say, yeah, it's actually pretty good. <laughs> There's been ongoing contention around whether these weird, grainy blurts are indeed the first computer-generated songs. A lot of it comes down to definitions of what makes a computer and what makes a computer digital or electronic. But by 2004, the Computer Music Journal published a story about Paul Dornbusch's research and the body of evidence he'd accumulated. In 2005, Dornbusch also released a book. This became noted internationally and ultimately was acknowledged that Australia was the first place in which computer music was played. Who knows, something might become available at some later time, something might be unearthed, because there have been some odd claims made, but for the best evidence available from any research to date, that's the first thing played by a computer ever. It was a physical demonstration of how a computer worked to a community in Australia that was thousands of miles away from what had been achieved in Europe and in America. And when they had public exhibition of it, it demonstrated to Australia what could be built here, what was achieved with Australian engineering, and also 
what could a computer do? People did not really understand how a computer could be used. Barbara Ainsworth. Shortly after Cyrax started singing, the CSIRO decided to can the project and move away from Australian-designed computers. Many were disappointed. The computer itself was packed up in Sydney and driven down the highway to live a second life as the University of Melbourne's first computer. Peter Thorne says that while that decision might have led to Australia missing the first digital wave, Cyrax still had a lasting legacy in many different parts of society. What did come from this was a realisation of the capability of these machines in terms of the public, but also the development of generations of people who could use these machines. For Paul Dornbush, Cyrax music is a bittersweet milestone. He says while Australia pioneered computer music, the country didn't capitalise on it. I would still say that Max Matthews from Bell Labs is the father of computer music because he was the one with the vision to say, well, this could go somewhere. Let's keep pushing it. Get composers involved. It's a bit sad that nobody was able to take what happened with Cyrax and develop it. And that takes some foresight to look at something with no practical application that you can see at the time and think, this might go somewhere. Where did it go? Well, it went to the digitisation of sound, sound being available on computers, on the internet, recording sounds digitally, which is what we're doing right now, to enable the lossless editing of them. It opened up a whole new world, a completely different universe. And eventually a completely different universe of music, for better or worse. We knew that we were at the start of something amazing, but we could not foresee how far it would go. We couldn't foresee that one could carry around in one's pocket something that could play music, take digital photographs, play computer games, communicate, and all the amazing things that have happened in the years since. And for Paul Dornbush, whenever he hears those weird little early computer blurts, he hears something innately human. It just shows that humans will try and make music with everything. And I think that is the best reflection. You know, whatever tools we have, we will try and make music with it. <laughs>